0: This morning we have the blessed privilege of going to the Lord's table. And I would simply ask that you begin to prepare your hearts. We're going to have the communion team come forward. They'll be passing out the elements of communion. And it's a special time for us as the body of Christ. And I would simply remind you, if you're visiting with us, and perhaps this is your first time ever being in God's house when communion is served, this is a believer's supper. It's designed for the body of Christ. And so I would simply ask if you're uncertain about the elements, what they mean, we're going to be uh, talking about that now. But if you have not come to personal faith in Christ, this is a serious moment for us who love the Lord because we're celebrating our Savior. And as we do at Christmas time, we do really every time we gather together as we share in the amazing supper, communion itself, uh, the Lord's Supper, as we know it, as we think about it, uh, the Greek word that's used there, to have in common, uh, just is something that we come together around the Lord's table. But for the Jewish people, those who at the time that that first communion was celebrated, that first supper, the last supper as we know it, it was the most important holiday of the year to them, because in it they celebrated really two principal things: one, that they had escaped the oppressive hand of slavery, and two, that they had been spared from death. And it was at that Passover meal that Jesus met with his disciples. And so as the communion team comes forward and begins to pass out the elements, you're going to first receive the bread, and then you'll receive the cup. And again, I would simply ask that you would hold both those elements and we'll partake together. But that feast of the unleavened bread recorded there for us in Exodus chapter 12, as the children of Israel fled, they had no opportunity to bake their bread. They were so quick to leave, to flee, to get away from sin and to get away from death, have you yourself been so quick to flee, to get away from sin and to get away from death? You see, that really is what we're celebrating. It's what Jesus did on Calvary's cross to make it possible for us to be free from the bondage of both sin and death. During that meal, Jesus would say, this is my body. And as you receive that bread, it, it's a representation. It's not literally his body. It simply is a picture of his body. And as you receive the cup, it's a picture of that new covenant that we now have, his blood that was shed for us for the remission of sin, for the, the erasure of our life lives apart from the wonderful glory of Christ. And so as those elements come to you and you hold them, what is it that we're really remembering? What is it that we're celebrating? You see, the Lord took your place. The Lord took my place. And as he reminded us in doing this particular supper, in celebrating communion together, we're remembering that he took our place, that he stood for you, he, he was nailed to the cross rather than you being nailed to the cross. In John 19, verse 15, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. And you know the story, they took him to Golgotha. And there they crucified him. And the soldiers divided his garments They split up his belongings. They cast lots for those things. And Jesus says a number of things, seven of them, from the cross. And he says to his own mother, woman, behold your son. And to John, the disciple, he says, behold your mother. He says, look, I'm leaving. And I'm leaving you, my mom. Picture the humanity of Jesus, something that we wonderfully celebrate as we celebrate communion because Jesus bore your sin, my sin. He knows what it's like to be you. He knows what it's like to suffer through the difficulties, the pains, the sorrows, the anguishes of life. The events of that day were many. And he certainly was mocked. You know, we often forget some of the little pieces. We celebrate them very often at Easter as we remember all of the details. But Jesus was mocked. Have you ever thought about what was said about Jesus as they they continued to... It was bad enough that he had been flogged. It was bad enough that he'd been stripped naked in public. It was bad enough but they literally took it to the point of mocking and shaming him the only limit to the torture the abuse was that he couldn't take it all the way to death and yet jesus endured that all of those words you know and we find in our culture words are difficult at times or painful at times And as he was taken outside, if you traveled to Jerusalem, if you travel outside the Damascus Gate, it's really not very far to Calvary. It's not very far to the place that Jesus was crucified. And Jesus there on Calvary's cross was nailed there for your sin and mine. His blood was shed for yours. That most cruel of all Roman tortures. It was reserved only for the very most heinous crimes. Matter of fact, crucifixion was viewed as so horrific that no Roman citizen was actually ever crucified. It was reserved for those who were not Romans. That's how bad it was. It wasn't that you were simply humiliated and tortured, but you were associated with the very worst of society. It's as if the, the full weight of being ostracized and castigated was culminated there on a cross. As you're receiving the cup now, as you... Realize what that is, obviously representing his blood. I want you to remember what Jesus said from the cross, his very last words. He said two very simple statements. He said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. In other words, he he makes these last two statements and he says, I trust God that this is your plan. Father, this is what you want. This is what I prayed you would take when I was in the garden. If there be any way, take this cup from me. But there wasn't. Jesus was always the plan. He was always the way and the truth and the life. And He was always only the one way that anyone who desires to be saved can be so. And so it says, Father, because of that plan, I absolutely have confidence I'm coming home and then perhaps the the most wonderful completion sentence to any handful of words that's ever been spoken Jesus simply says a a single word in the original language he says to tell us die it is finished it's done Everything that needs to be done for you needs to be done for me. All that has to happen for us to have a right relationship with the God that created us. You see, that was the problem. You and I without Christ could not be in God's presence. A relationship broken by sin, the penalty of that sin is death. And Jesus restored exactly what the Israelites fled at Passover. They were fleeing the oppression of sin and they were escaping the certainty of death. And so as we celebrate communion, we celebrate the same thing that they celebrated at Passover because in Christ's body, you you see, you should bear the penalty of your sin. I should bear the penalty of my sin. It should have been your body broken, not his. But he took your place, took my place. It should have been your blood that was spilt. The only problem was your blood would have accomplished nothing. Neither would mine. All of my blood poured out, every last drop shed for my sin still would have not been able to have accomplished what needed to be done. It still would have left me in need of God's grace. And so it was his body broken, his blood shed, that's brought us that grace that we need to be saved. The prophet Isaiah, writing almost 700 years before the Lord Jesus, would be nailed to that rough-hewn cross on Calvary. It says there in verse 8 of Isaiah 53, For he was taken from prison and from judgment. Who will declare his generation? You see, Jesus was a nobody. Jesus was a nobody. He wasn't a star. He didn't have his own website. He had no Facebook profile. There there was no movies made about him at the time. He could have wandered down any street, anywhere in Judea, and no one would have noticed. He would have looked like, acted like, talked like, been like, eaten like, hung out with people like him, he was in no way remarkable. He he was not, as our Western movies often portray, strikingly handsome. He certainly did not have blonde hair and did not have blue eyes. He would have not stuck out at all. He didn't have a lofty entourage. Nobody traveled with him with regalia. Who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. And notice it says, for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich in his death. Oh, incredibly rich are we in Jesus. Amen. Amen. What you couldn't do for yourself, what I could not do for myself, Christ did for us. He had no violence that he had done, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. He he didn't even answer back to Pilate. He could have, but he didn't. And yet it pleased the Lord. It, It pleased God in a very strange way that's hard for us to comprehend and understand because so great was the need of mankind, humankind, so great was the need that I had that day. Did it please God in the sense that his own son was doing for me what I could not do for myself? It pleased God to bruise him in that sense. Because we'd all be lost without it. We'd all be heading to a place we don't want to go. When you make his soul an offering for sin, you shall see his seed and prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You see, family, as as you hold this simple piece of matzah cracker, as you hold a, a plastic cup with grape juice in it, They represent the most wonderful thing that's ever been done on this planet. The greatest sacrifice that the universe will ever know. The sinless lamb of God, Emmanuel the Christ child, gave his life for you, for me, that we might have his eternal life. And so as we partake together, Jesus said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. The Apostle Paul records these things. He said, For the Lord Jesus, on the same night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he he broke it. And he said, Take eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. Let's partake the bread together. And in the same manner, so he was saying, in the same way, symbolically, he had taken the bread and he had broken it. This is my body. Jeff, I'm not asking you to be crucified. My body was broken. In the same way, he took the cup after supper. And again, it would have been a Hebrew saying. It would have been a Seder, it would have been the fourth cup, the cup of praise. It wasn't the cup of sacrifice, it wasn't the cup of suffering, it was the cup of praise. He took the cup of praise and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink of it, drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember Jesus. It's the way he asks us to remember him teaches us some profound truth we're all saved the same way least to the great of us this morning the least to the great of us this morning there's no one in here if you're one of God's kids you are saved by grace and through faith amen you're saved by the same precious blood that saves doesn't matter where you are on the the grand scheme of things. And so this wonderful memorial service, we look back at our past, at what we once were, amen? Oh, praise God we're not that anymore. What Christ did so that we could be saved from that, it speaks of our present. You see, there's that wonderful work that God's doing in us even here right now, this very moment. And it surely points to our future that is secure in the heavens. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this time this morning, for what was accomplished on Calvary's cross. And Lord Jesus, as you allowed your body to be broken, as your blood was poured out, as we have partaken of these elements, Lord, we simply remember what you have done on our behalf. And as your grateful family, Lord, we say thank you. We bless you. We praise you. We remember you, King Jesus. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for washing us. Thank you for loving us to the uttermost. It's in the amazing name of Jesus, the name above all names, that we pray these things. Amen. Amen and Amen. We have a little time remaining, so if you'd turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, a little mini-study to go with our time in communion. And before we do so, we we prayed on Thursday night, and and I want to take an opportunity to ask God to bless the Word, of course, but at the same time, um, pray for the families of those who lost loved ones in San Bernardino and I will tell you I had three people in that room that I personally knew who lost their lives. Um, When when you're a camp director you get to know an awful lot of environmental health and safety personnel and in fact I was up on the mountain on Friday and um, I don't know what to say but that evil person was actually at the camp doing an inspection two weeks ago. I knew Michael Wetzel. He was an accomplice in many things with the county. You get to do a lot of things when you oversee facilities. And I remember talking to him about his walk with the Lord and about his six kids. Family of God, I believe the Lord's coming soon, and we have a lot of work to do. And so I pray that as we pray, you'll remember that we have the gospel, we have the Lord, and that is the answer to what ails our country. And so as we pray, ask the Lord what he wants you to do with your walk with the Lord in these last days. Would you pray with me? Father, I want to lift up the Wetzel family and the Adams family. Lord, I I just, those those ten kids that now don't have a dad, God, would you touch them? Would you be their shield and fortress and strong tower? Lord, these men loved you. Their their wives loved you. Their children loved you. And yet in your sovereign plan, you allowed them to be taken too soon. And so, God, we ask that you would take this evil, Lord, and somehow for your body, that you'd even begin to use it for good. Would it stir your people to action? Lord, would we not yield to evil, but overcome evil by doing good? And Lord, as we spend a little bit of time in your word, would you speak to us through it? Would you help us to keep our eyes focused on heaven from where our hope comes? We ask these things in the amazing name of Christ. Amen. Verse 7 here in Philippians chapter 1. Just as it is right for me to think, and that word think there actually is an interesting word, it can be translated feel as well, so it is like many things that we think. We can feel then, if they are thought on in the level of heart and mind. There is a difference between the heart and the mind. That 18 inches that separates those two things Causes things to have a different perspective for us. There are heartfelt thoughts that we have. Our heartfelt thoughts go out to the victims of this tragedy. Go out to our country. We're we're a country in crisis. And again, there's still wonderful, good things that are happening every day. But we are a country in crisis that desperately needs the love of God. Just as is right for me to think or feel this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Notice where Paul has those believers in Philippi. It goes beyond just a mental understanding. It goes beyond uh, the the fact that they had been helping him financially, making sure that he could uh, get along there in his prison cell. It's a tough thing to do even today, but prison then was nothing like prison now. As bad as it is now, it was infinitely worse then. People very often didn't survive incarceration. They would go hungry. They, they didn't, there was no forced air heat, no air conditioning, no exercise yards, no libraries where you could get a degree. You went to prison, it was literally a hellhole. And very often people died from the experience of being incarcerated. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He says, look, we're together in the fact that you're helping me while I'm here in prison. And yet we also had ministry that we did together. The gospel ministry. For you are all partakers with me of grace. And we've gone, do you realize, do you see, do you understand today that if you're here today, you're part of the body of Christ. And you are a member of that body by grace. We're not a denomination. We're not an affiliation. We're not an association. We are grace kids. Amen? Amen. The body of Christ isn't defined along doctrinal lines, the body of Christ is defined by grace, God's grace. Is a measurable, wonderful favor for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me, an ungodly man. For God is my witness of how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a different way that you feel people's existence when you're a believer. You know, I was watching the kids perform that's a very different feeling than paying to go to the, you know, the Microsoft Theater and see a professional choir. Why? Because this is the fruit of this body. It's something that happens in my heart. It's visceral. It's something that occurs because we're invested in the same thing. And that's that relationship that we have in Christ. It's not something we do, it's something we are, amen? We're part of this wonderful thing called the body of Christ, into which we have all come one way, by grace, through faith. And he said, in this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. He's saying, look, I have you in my heart. And when you have something in your heart, the natural next step, the next inclination you have, if something is heartfelt, you also do something with it. Amen? You you can't say that you feel something in your heart and just stand around, well, whatever. Those two things are mutually exclusive. If you feel something in your heart... You are viscerally motivated to do something with it. It matters so much to you that you can't sit still. And how many Christians walk around as if their relationship with other believers really doesn't matter because they don't do anything with their relationship with other believers? They're not looking to serve, they're not looking to love, they're not looking to be a part. It, church becomes a duty. They simply come, they go, they walk out the doors, and they're basically ineffective in the world. We need to realize what the Apostle Paul is saying is something we need to engage in. If you feel deeply about your relationship with God, If you are in fact, and we are in fact, the redeemed of the Lord, then it should produce good works in us. That's why the the Apostle James, as he he wrote his letter to the church in the second chapter, he says, look, I'll show you my faith by my works. What I do bears out who I am and who you are. We're in this together. It's one of the great challenges of a large church, is getting people engaged and actually doing something with our faith. Why well, we're looking going forward into 2016 to do more missions, more local outreach, to give people an opportunity, give you an opportunity to minister the good news of the gospel. As we feel these things, what we really feel is that joy of the Lord. You see, if I have Jesus, I'm going to be others centered. And that gives me an opportunity for myself, for me, for us, for you to be engaged in this wonderful thing that we call a walk with the Lord. I think the world suffers from too many Christians having a private faith. And I hear this all the time. I talk to people about their relationship with the Lord. and I say, Well, you know, it's a private matter between me and God. That's not taught in Scripture. There's no such thing as an isolated Christian in the Bible. And if you think that way, I want to square away your doctrine. Because it's not taught here. The body of Christ is a living thing. Matter of fact, Paul writing to the church in 1 Corinthians, he actually says, look, the eye can't say to the hand that I have no need of you. You're, You're a part of something much bigger than yourself. And we're to have joy in that. I need you. You ever look around in the sanctuary and go, I actually need all of my brothers and sisters? Amen? You should. I I need you. Why do I say that? I need you praying. I want to pray for you. You should pray for me. We need to accomplish what God set out for us. I cannot Cannot do that by myself. The staff here is insufficient for the task that we've been given in the South Bay. We can't do it without you. We need you. You you see, when you need people, you feel for them, you care about their circumstances, their situations. And as you think on those things, think of it this way. You see, we share in God's grace. We also share a little bit in his glory together. We share in that good news, that work that the gospel's doing. You see, we're sharing these things. What happens here, you all are a part of. What happens in the world with the gospel, with the good news, you all are a part of. There are some 11,500 kids that are all going to get shoeboxes that all came from you all. Amen? That's sharing together. I can't wait to hear the stories of what happens, of what you did as part of us. Part of the great we. And it's a wonderful confirmation of what the Lord's doing. And so we have each other in our hearts. We take those gifts, those skills, those talents, our time, our talent, and our treasure. God's given us this wonderful life to live. He's given you certain gifts that you have. He's given you resources, financial and otherwise, that he's entrusted to you. And they're all for the same purpose, that people would come to faith in Christ. We're going to be covering uh, that passage tonight. No man can serve two masters. You see, we're not here for the accumulation of wealth. We're here for the accumulation of souls in heaven. Amen? That's why you're here. That's the purpose for the church. The church exists to preach the gospel. So that other people would come to faith in Christ. So that heaven is populated with with the glorious fruit that abounds to the account of the work of the gospel in this world that Jesus did on Calvary's cross. We're just a part of it. Do you have that in your heart today? I pray you do. You, you see, we're, we're really bound in that sense to, to accomplish these things. And if you do, you, you long for that time when the Lord pours out His Spirit In a new and a fresh way. And you you begin to uh, just have that love just pour out of you all the time. Do you long to see God work in your life? Do you long to see God work in this church? Do you long to see God work in our communities? Do you long to see God work in our world? Are you longing to see the love of God poured out through us? Because you should be. I should be. This is not a job. I don't come in in the morning and just start checking things off of a box. I'm begging God, please, tell us what it is that you want for us today. Show us what you want to do. May we not hinder your work. Would we be actively engaged in what you planned for today? And that's always going to be abounding in love. You see, when we fellowship together, we're not fellowshipping because we belong to Calvary Chapel of South Bay, we're fellowshipping because we belong to Christ Jesus as Lord. Amen? That's the church. We have a a flavor as a part of the body of Christ, but there are other parts of the body of Christ. And if we're abounding in love, then we overlook one another's idiosyncratic behavior. Amen? And there's a lot of that in this world. There are sayings that just drive me nuts at times. But I know that God wants to draw the body of Christ together in abounding love. Matter of fact, so distinct is that calling on the church that Jesus actually said, by this all men will actually know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. It's not just solid doctrine. Sound doctrine is essential to, to living faith. But it is love that's the distinctive. Do you have that kind of love in your heart? Because we should. We're entering this amazing Christmas season where we have an opportunity to tell the world the real meaning of what's going to happen here in a couple of weeks. Amen? We we actually can celebrate Christmas for, for the real intent for which we have this holiday. It, it it's not materialism month, okay? It's Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen? God is love. We need to be loving people. We need to be sharing Christ. You can already see the long faces in all the, all the stores. Like, I'm going to be working 100 hours this week. You know, you, you can see all of that. Go present to them the hope that lies within you. Have that love. Have that affection. When you greet your brothers and sisters on the street, remind them that Jesus is very much alive and well. That God does have a plan for this world. These terrorists won't win. They won't win. God wins. Amen. We have the end. We know where it's going. So in the meantime, let's abound in love. Let's abound in love. And as you have opportunity, share that truth. Let people know that you have them in your heart because you care about what Christ cares about and that's people amen ministry is about people our lives are about people God cares about people he uses buildings and stuff but he cares about people that's what he cares about and so let's care about what God cares about and as we abound in love in this Christmas season May we be found busy about our Father's business. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come again so grateful for your love for us. Lord, the wondrous things that you have done to redeem us. Lord, that you could take care of our sin problem and alleviate the penalty of it, which is death, and in its place, give us abundant life. And then once that abundant life on this earth is over, give us eternal life, everlasting. God, what can we say? God, we love you. And because you first loved us, help us to love others. Help us to love the lost. Help us to love each other. Help us to serve you with reckless abandon. We bless you. We praise you. We honor you. Lord, please use us in these last days. Bless us as your people, we pray. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.